didn't intend really to start this way, but I'll say a little thing. You know, if you kind of um, focus on uh, people, you'll be disappointed. But if you focus on Jesus, you will never be disappointed. And Jesus said, um, you know, you have looked at me, Jesus, after the flesh. I really don't look at anyone after the flesh anymore. Even you looked at me this way. But don't look at me that way anymore, and don't look at anybody else that way anymore. Because if you uh, regard someone, as the King James says, or look at someone after the flesh, you will be disappointed. In other words, after what they are apart from God, what they are in, the, in, the, in themselves or in their flesh. And, um, you know, I like to always bring it home to yourself as well. So you can't regard yourself after the flesh. Well, you can regard yourself after the flesh, but you can't do that and uh, live a blessed, happy, successful life because you'll be severely disappointed. And um, when Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty two, have faith in God, he meant to have faith in God. He didn't mean to have faith in yourself or faith in your president or faith in your pastor or faith in your cousin or faith in your great-grandmother who's the most spiritual person that you've ever known on the face of the earth. He said, have faith in God, right? So we can look at people that are what we would maybe consider spiritual giants, people that inspire us, and we can, like Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ, right? The anointed one and his anointing. So we don't just follow Paul to follow Paul because he was an amazing preacher. He said, you follow me as I what? Follow Christ. And so this actually would fix a lot of marriage problems when you look in, you get in some um, circles and it's a um, very rigid structured, the woman must submit to the man, Right? And so then, like, you've got situations where the man is uh, physically harming his wife or emotionally abusive to his wife or just not loving his wife. You know, Paul said, Follow me as I follow Christ. And so, as the man loves the wife, then the wife is able to submit to the husband. And uh, Jesus, of course, gave the example of Christ in the church that, uh, and what man doesn't love and nourish and care for his own body. So um, we're not just haphazardly going along, um, you know, doing whatever because that's how the crowd goes. We are to be, and we are, a peculiar, special, separated people. Uh, the Bible calls us holy, which just means separate, set aside, different, special to God. And, um, uh, you know, we get it, man gets it kind of uh, construed to be like, you're wearing turtlenecks all the time and you, you, no makeup if you're a woman or a man. <laughs> Got to realize I'm teaching in the 21st century. And, uh, you know, that you just have like a guy, you have a suit on all the time and a tie and all this type of stuff. That, that, that doesn't really have anything to do with whether you're holy or not holy, you know. And um, I've watched uh, people that were specially called and specially anointed of God to minister to the sick and the diseased to lay hands on them. And, um, you know, even my father in the faith, Dad Hagen, uh, he would like, you listen to some of his old uh, messages, and you'll hear him say like, oh, I went over and I was going to pray for this lady, so I quick got my coat on, put my tie on, and went and prayed for her. Well, I traveled with him. 
So we'd go, and he'd go into a healing line, and you know what the one first thing he'd do is he'd take his coat off, <laughs> pray for the sick. <laughs> Funny enough, the anointing still uh, flowed. So we get kind of caught up sometimes in, in uh, natural things, and we miss the supernatural. You know, we look for spectacular things, and we kind of miss the supernatural. Well, we're, this may be our, our last week on uh, this series. I'm not quite sure yet, but it's the series on belonging and where do you belong, where do I belong? And um, I think that's a real big question in the world today. And especially when you look at, really, you could say any generation, whether you are a more senior generation or a more junior generation. And so... Um, Many times the generation that is kind of like, uh, I don't know, well, this sounds sad, but it's not supposed to be sad, that's shrinking, you know, is nervous about the next generation that's coming up. So that would be my generation right now. I'm generation X. And then the next generation is like the millennial generation. So they just said, I think it was last year, that the um, millennials now have taken the largest place in the workforce. So they have more millennials than what they have Generation X, or if you're Generation after that, you're Generation after that, right? And, um, but you find that as generations come up, what is everybody searching for and looking for? Everybody wants to be valuable. Everybody wants a place. Uh, I mean, there's lots of other things that go with lots of different generations that characterize, you know, some generations apparently don't want to work and they want to get paid and lots of other things, but I'm not talking about all that. I'm talking about as people grow, as people come, the younger people want a place of significance. They want to belong. They want to feel valued. Well, what happens with the older generations that are beyond that? Do you know it's the exact same thing? Because I'm Generation X, right? So I don't want to be displaced and kicked to the curb by, what's it, what is it? Millennial. A millennial generation, right? And then... Okay, what's before? I don't want to, the baby boomers, I guess. My parents are the baby boomers. And so they don't want to be displaced by Generation X. And so um, I'm not trying to do like a generational teaching, but what I'm trying to illustrate is every person searches for significance. And the lie is that you're insignificant. But the truth is that you are very significant because God created you in the womb of your mother. And he then breathed life into you, just like he did Adam and Eve. I mean, there he created the whole physical body. But, you know, the reason that you're alive, that I'm alive, that you exist, that I exist, is because of God himself, because of his intention and his plan. And um, I was just reading in um, Acts last night, and then uh, I referred to it a few weeks ago in a message uh, from the Old Testament, that the actual days for you were planned before you existed and the places that you would be. So God knows every little thing about you, every little thing about me. And so we are extremely valuable to him. And of course, that's why we look at, um, you know, you see life that's ended on purpose in the womb is such a, a, a tragedy and a travesty. We're made in the likeness and the image of God. I mean, one of the reasons that we are to glorify God with our bodies is because really when you become a Christian, you're not your own anymore. He now owns you. He owns your body. He owns my body. And so we are with everything that we have to glorify God. 
Well, the work of the enemy is basically to devalue life, to devalue your life, to devalue you so that you will just be this ultimate powerhouse with the same power that raised Christ from the dead, living on the inside of you, churning on the inside of you, moving on the inside of you, but you will act like there's nothing there. You'll act like you're just flesh and blood and bones, body, and whatever will be, will be, and you're going to live however long on the earth, and then it's over, and, you know, uh, you know the devil will uh, get you wherever you'll let him get you, you know, because some people are at the place where they're like, well, when we all get to heaven, then everything will be great, and everything will be wonderful, and that's where it'll be. And if he can get you there, he'll get you there, because then what, he's, what lie is he going to tell you? Well, you're going to have to suffer through life. It's going to be a difficult time through life. And yeah, uh, God provided salvation for you. And yeah, in eternity, it's all going to be good. But now it's horrible. And so he'll grab you with that lie. And um, if he's already lost you uh, to receiving Christ. But we have a place to belong. And that is with God himself. And that we have a rapport with God. Meaning, when we come to him, he's excited to see us. He's expecting to see us. He has something he wants to discuss with us. He wants to hear what's on our heart. He wants to have a living, real, tangible, touchable relationship with you and with me every day. Really, all the time. And um, uh, the devil wants to prevent that as much as possible. So the way he's going to prevent that is he's saying, you don't belong. You don't belong with God because, you know, uh, the TV preacher belongs with God, but you don't belong with God. Or your, your teacher in school belongs with God, but you don't belong with God. In other words, they've walked with the Lord long enough. They pray enough. They read the word enough that it's okay for them. But the devil always wants to push it off and say, it's not okay for you. And you don't measure up. And, you know, you have this generational curse in your family. Or because you are um, this age, or you look like this, or you weigh this amount, or because you think this thought, your prayer is not as good as someone else's prayer. And you getting in uh, communication with God is not going to work like it works for somebody else. Yeah, it works for them, but it's not going to work for you. And so these thoughts come to all of us in different measures and in different forms. And if we latch hold of those thoughts, we're crippled in life. Because, you know, when they were, um, when they were, uh, there's a book called uh, uh, Believer's Authority that uh, Kenneth Hagin Ministries put out, I think it was back in the 60s. And... Um, Billy Brim uh, was the main editor on that book. And uh, when they were putting that book together, I mean, they said, I was not there in the 60s. <laughs> so they said, I mean, they had so many demonic attacks, so many things come against the publishing of that book because of the stuff that was contained in that book. Now, you know, I was alive because I went to, in high school, I learned uh, my foreign languages I studied was German. So I studied German for two years, really enjoyed it, got straight A's, and, um, you know, anyhow, I was in German class in, uh, I think it was 1992, when the Berlin Wall fell, okay? Well, 
not too long after that, of course, uh, the Soviet Union kind of collapsed and it became Russia and then the, the other, other uh, provinces became just their own countries. Well, uh, in talking to the believers over in the Soviet Union, the former Soviet Union, they attributed their freedom to two books, the Bible and the believer's authority. Okay, so the knowledge that's in that book is very powerful. And the knowledge that's in the Word of God is even more powerful. Yes. But what happens is, you know, um, he gave some apostles, Jesus, in Ephesians, we learn Ephesians uh, chapter 4, I think it is, some apostles, the prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the perfecting of the saints till we all come to the unity of faith to the full knowledge of the Son of God. So he gave teachers preachers, um, people that would expound the word to us so it could become real to us. So that's why you'll find like books like that that are really in your modern day um, culture, language, understanding will really set you on fire for the word of God and you start to see things that maybe you, you didn't see or people didn't see for years and years and years. And so um, when you start to realize who you are in Christ that you are right with God. And right with God means you don't have to have any hesitation, any hold back, any um, sense that you're inadequate for the task at hand. Then you actually can start to step into the authority that you have in Jesus Christ. Okay? Because if you, if you see in the Word of God... You know, Matthew, the Great Commission, we've labeled it. The Bible doesn't call it the Great Commission, but we've labeled it the Great Commission because he said, go into all the world. But right before he said, go into all the world, he said, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore. Well, he just immediately then took all that authority that was delegated and given to him, and he delegated it and given it, gave it to us. So you can read that verse. You can see that verse. But if you have a, well, that's for the pastor, but I'm not quite there yet. I've never been to Bible school or I haven't been to enough Bible school. You know, I, there's a lady I'm thinking of and um, she went to uh, uh, Rama Bible Training Center, uh, Rama Bible College now. And uh, then after that, she went to um, uh, Billy Joe Doherty School. I, I don't Huh? Victory, yeah, Victory Christian Center. And then after that, she went to Andrew Womack's school out in uh, Colorado. And I think after that, she was going to go to ORU or whatever. She's like on this forever eternal like uh, education plan. And uh, so, you know, it really doesn't necessarily matter. It doesn't matter how much you know in your head. It's really like what's in your heart so that you're doing it. And that's what faith is. Faith is of the heart. And faith is what we're doing, what we're trusting God in. Uh, if you don't have works, your faith is dead faith, right? And so we can make faith some big, difficult thing. Um, but uh, as I said in the pre-service this morning, I don't know if anybody knows Jim Hockaday, but uh, he's a friend of ours. We travel with him a little bit and a great man of God. And he says that the best I've heard it is that really... Um, Tiggers bounce and believers believe. So if you're a believer, what you do is you believe. So you're not like you're like, if you're a Tigger, you just bounce because that's what a Tigger does. If you're a believer, you just believe because that's what a believer does. So we try to like work on the believer like, okay, I'm going to believe, I'm going to believe, I'm going to, I'm going to, 
you know, but when I look at the word of God and I see when Jesus in flesh form walked on the earth, I see like as many as believe received. I see like blind Bartimaeus is coming or Jesus is coming. Blind Bartimaeus is there. He can't see, but he can hear. And he heard that this man that's anointed of God, set apart from God, when he speaks, when he touches, things happen. And so blind Bartimaeus is there, and blind Bartimaeus is culturally getting ready to do something that's completely unacceptable because he's not supposed to be yelling and screaming and trying to make his way through. He can't even see. But he says, you know what? I don't really care what everybody else thinks. I don't care what everybody else does. I am on my way to the man, Jesus Christ. I'm on my way to the answer because that is my answer. So he cried out with a loud voice, Jesus, have mercy on me. And Jesus heard that cry because blind Bartimaeus was not going to live the way everybody else lived. He already wasn't living the way everybody else lived. But the world was trying to um, force him into its mold and say, you know what? This is the way it is. And if you've got this condition, it's always going to be that way. Uh, Don't have hope. There's no hope. It doesn't matter. Uh, This person is so important. They don't have time for you. But Jesus is not like any other person. So Jesus looks at what you're going through and what I'm going through, and he said, I was made to fix that problem. I was made for this. I was made to overcome this. And of course, we know now, living in uh, 2016, that whatever problem that you have faced or that you will face, Jesus actually went there, met it, not only met it, conquered it, not only conquered it, he laid it to your credit and to my credit. And so like, uh, we have, uh, some credit cards and, uh, I don't remember which one it was or what happened, but, um, uh, I think it's, we have one credit card we, we pay it off every month and, and, uh, so we put stuff on there, we get points, and you get extra stuff and all that. So recently, my wife and I were having a discussion on the phone. I think I was driving back from California with the truck, and, and she's saying something about, uh, do you want me to pay, uh, pay this credit card? And I said, well, if there's a bill, yes, pay the credit card. And um, uh, she was trying to explain to me that the previous month, she had like done like more than what was owed because... I don't know why she did it. But anyhow, she did more than what was owed. And so maybe she didn't need to make this one. Well, that's kind of like what happens when Jesus came before we even were on the earth. He actually did stuff that's already laid to our account. So then when we go and spend that money, there's already a credit there. Except for the big difference is ours never is emptied out. Our heavenly one. Our earthly one is. But our heavenly one is not. And so Jesus actually already took care of every expense, every purchase, every unexpected repair that you could possibly have, and more than. And he conquered it. And he overcame it. Uh, let's look at 2 Corinthians um, Second Corinthians. It'll show up.
5.21. 2 Corinthians 5.21. For he has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That is, God has made Jesus to be sin for us. Jesus, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So Jesus, we know, went to the cross, uh, died, was buried, and rose again after he had put away our sin. So our sin was placed upon him. He took our sin from us. He removed our sin from us, right? So any of us that were born after Adam and Eve, which is all of us, uh, you know, the Word of God tells us that if you offend or sin in one part, you're guilty of all of it. So all of us are guilty of the whole law, missing the whole law. Um, But Jesus came and took that penalty for our sin, for where you missed it, where I missed it, on himself. And he took that penalty, and he suffered the consequences of that penalty, and then he gained victory over that penalty. And he did it for us. So that what happens is there is a great, what you call a great exchange. So everything that Jesus deserved, based on what he did, based on who he was, is what we get. And everything that we deserved based on who we were, based on what we did, is what he got. Except for the cool thing about it is, he's Jesus. He's anointed of God. He's God in the flesh. So when he got it, and he suffered the penalty for it, God raised him from the dead. Because God couldn't do that with us, without a forerunner, without Christ, right? So Jesus paid the penalty. And so... When you start to feel like, I'm just, not, I'm just not that kind of Christian, I just don't have that relationship with God, I just don't have that rapport with God, it's just, you know, other people have it, I feel like I'm kind of on the outside, you know the devil is working on you. The devil's trying to separate you from what Jesus has already accomplished and what Jesus has already done. Because if I can get someone, you know, if, I, if you had an intruder come into your house and you have a double-barrel shotgun, but that intruder can convince you, you don't know how to use that thing. You've never used that thing before. I am going to kill you, and I'm going to torture you, and it's going to be horrible, and they can get you to believe that you don't have the power to overcome them. They can whoop you, but you actually have power over them. Well, that's what the devil tries to do with every single one of us. not trying to scare anybody this morning. (laughs) That's what the devil tries to do with every single one of us. And we have a whole lot more than a double-barrel shotgun. Because every time that you bring up the blood of Jesus and the name of Jesus, it actually reminds Satan of what Jesus did to him. Okay? And Jesus didn't just win the game. Jesus utterly defeated him. And actually, Colossians tells us, stripped him. And some translations actually say, then paraded him naked in front of everybody for everybody to see in all eternity. So, um, you know, if you're a warrior and then someone comes and strips you, do you understand that means that you lose all of your weapons? 
You lose all of your protection. You lose everything that you have in order to successfully wage war and successfully have a battle. And not only did Jesus remove and strip and uh, take that away from him, but he stripped him completely naked so that he was humiliated so that all of the demons know that he was defeated and all of the angels know that he was defeated and all of the spirits that had already gone up into Sheol or paradise at that time know that he is defeated. And so the only power that the devil has over me and over you is a lie. So if he can get us to believe a lie, you know, the word of God tells us that he walks about as a roaring lion. Not he is a roaring lion, but as a roaring lion doing what? Seeking whom he may devour. What are we supposed to do? Whom resist steadfast in your faith or in the faith. And then, of course, Peter says, resist the devil and he will flee. And um, one, one like old dictionary says, run from you as in terror. And so we get the picture that, okay, Satan, you take your hands off my body in the name of Jesus. And then you're kind of like, did it work? Did it work? Well, it didn't work. If you're acting like that, it's not going to work. Right? Because you're like checking to see if it worked. So our faith, our confidence must be in God. Jesus said, have faith in God. Uh, the one translation, I don't remember the name of it right now, says, lay hold on God's faithfulness. And so as we lay hold on the faithfulness of God, realize it takes us out of the picture, except for we're laying hold on his faithfulness. In other words, we're not laying hold on how faithful we are. We're not laying hold on how good we are. We're not laying hold on uh, how much communication we have with God. We're laying hold on the very faithfulness of God himself. So if God is able to keep you, if God is able to be constant, if God is able to be unchanging and we lay hold on that, then we actually tap into that faithfulness, that unchangingness, that faith that actually raised Christ from the dead. The same faith, the same power, the same ability, and the same relationship. And the way that we come into this relationship, which we've said for the last several weeks, is we get born again. You know, remember Nicodemus said to Jesus, like, how's this going to happen? He's like, you know, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. You have to be born a different way. You have to be born from above. And Nicodemus misunderstood. He's like, can I go again into my mother's womb? And I can relate to that because, like, I can be a thinker. And I'm like, what in the world? How is that going to work? Do you shrink? But he's like, no, 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 you're not thinking the right way. You have to be born a different way. Born again, but you're born from above now. You're not born natural fleshly, but born from above. And this born from above actually changes everything. This changes you from the inside out, right? When I was a kid and um, we, uh, my family and our family and another family started a church. And um, when we started that church, my parents were very involved in the church. You know, they were looking for a pastor. They didn't feel called to pastor, but they preached until they found a pastor, them and the other couple. And um, one of the illustrations I remember as a kid that they would do, because my dad loved these, like, all these illustrations. And I don't remember if it was my dad or my mom, but they brought this apple. I don't know how they found this thing. But I think maybe you injected or something, but it was an apple that looked pristine and perfect and shiny. 
and you just wanted to like eat it. And then they cut it open and it was rotten to the core. But on the outside, it looked really, really good. And so uh, I learned at a very young age, wow, it's really what's on the inside that matters because, uh, you know, that skin may look good, but it was rotten, dead, horrible. And so what happens to us sometimes is sometimes our outside may look a little rough, you know, the diamond in the rough. But on the inside, when you're a new creature, you are a new creature. In other words, uh, this is something that has never existed before. Any man that be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, some things have become new. Behold, all things have become new. In other words, that bad habit that keeps pulling you back in and keeps testing you and trying you, that's of the flesh. That is not of the spirit. All things have become new in the spirit, in your spirit man, the real you. You are a new creature in Christ Jesus. And so we are to live after the new creation knowledge and understanding. In other words, we have been made new. It's amazing when you take the word of God, faith is really acting on the word. So if we take the word of God and we say, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he has made him to be sin who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. If you take and you say, I am a new creature. Everything's brand new. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I have a relationship with God. I have a rapport with God. God wants to speak to me. He yearns to speak to me. And he can do it because of the blood of Jesus. Because I come that way. You realize it'll transform your thinking. It'll transform your daily life. Uh, and, you know, I taught a message on uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17 last year. and said, behold. is just Behold. You realize if you look and you see, you have to look and you have to see. Behold, you have to look, you focus, you realize, you let it sink in, and you act like it. Behold, if any person, any man is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Okay? Because all of us, no matter how long we've been on the earth, uh, are pretty familiar with ourselves and the ruts that we want to slip into and the ruts that are comfortable for us to get into. But if you don't regard yourself after the flesh like Jesus said, but you regard yourself after the new creation that you are in Christ Jesus, you'll find that you got like a four by four and it probably it's a diesel Duramax, right? Because that thing is powerful and it just like, whoa, you know? And so I went, we got this truck so we could pull a trailer for the church and and uh, Evie and I went, we went to get it. We went up the mountain to see the sequoia trees because it was going to be like a four-day trip. And I thought, okay, we got to see like something cool. <laughs> and so, because we're going to drive through all this stuff, but I'm like, let's get there. And I didn't have much, much extra time. So we go up to see these sequoia trees. And uh, I used to drive an 18-wheeler, but you're pulling like a heavy load with that. Uh, I did that with Rama. And um, so this had no trailer. It's a 6.6 liter diesel Duramax, four by four. And, you know, so I'm going up this mountain 
And uh, we start going up, and Evie got a little nervous, and even so did I, because there, uh, they didn't have, like, guardrails. So you're going around, and on the way up, you're on the outside side, and the truck is wider than my car, and I'm not used to it, and we're higher than the car, and I'm not used to it. And so we're going, and um, I start looking at the RPMs, and I'm like... We're staying between 1,500 and 1,800, even on the steepest parts. And cars are slowing down. Other things are slowing down. And the truck is kind of like, huh, did you want me to do something? I'm just, I'm just idling along here, you know? You get to the tougher parts, and it's like, I was made for this. And so, I, I mean, I don't know. I try to have a poker face, but they tell me I'm terrible at it. But I think I must have grinned because I'm like, this is amazing. Like, this thing just goes. Well, really, when we are seeing ourselves and living our lives in Christ, it's much like that. Like, you will stop and look at the person that you are in him and be amazed and be like, really? Is it really this simple? I I must have messed something up because it can't be this easy. It can't be this simple. Uh, Total side note. When I'm reading the Word of God and you start to get light and understanding, uh, revelation you could call it, um, the way I know like you're right on mark is like you read it and you're like, well, it can't be that simple. I would have seen that before. It's so simple. You know, Jesus taught in parables. Jesus never tried to bring something real complicated. Um, You know, I guess he knew what he was dealing with. (laughs) We have the mind of Christ. Um, But you see... When we tap into who we are in Christ, who he made us to be, everything else becomes insignificant because that is so significant. And when we start to see the significance of who he has made us to be and what he has made us to be and the position that he has put us in, you can even see even without your heart, even with just your head, you start to think, If this is true, then there's a lot of stuff that to me has been a big deal that really shouldn't be a big deal. According to this, it's not a big deal. You start to catch a little glimpse here and there of the truth of the Word of God is what happens. And so, you know, your mind and um, unbelieving Christians will try to tell you, you know, like, you know, you can't possibly understand God. His ways are higher than ours. His thoughts are higher than ours. Um... You know, you never can tell what God will do, his, what's the, how's the saying go, his wonders to perform. And um, then when you come and you say, like, you just need to believe what the Bible says, act like the Bible's true, confess and believe, just like Romans 10, 9 and 10 says to do, um, people will look at you like, well, I don't think that could possibly work. And I just want to say to them, do uh, you remember that verse that you like so much that says that God weighs... God's ways are higher than ours. His thoughts are higher than ours. His wonders to perform. Maybe he knows more than what we know. Maybe he designed it. Maybe he designed you and me. And so we find out that he has made a plan for you and for me that actually includes proximity, includes nearness, includes close relationship. So if you think of... um, your closest friend, whether it's your husband, your wife, or uh, just a friend, and you think if you have done something to hurt that relationship, family member, whatever, and 
think of how you approach that person after you have done that. You have generally like some hesitation and you're kind of like walking softly and I'm like, hey, Melody, you know, (laughs) how you doing? (laughs) That's how the devil wants us to approach God always. But the reality is God is right there knowing what we did before we did. And one of my favorite scriptures of all time, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, while you were messing up, while I was messing up, while we were missing the mark, while we were doing stuff we have no business doing, while we were thinking about stuff we have no business thinking about, while we were um, being rude, uh, whatever you can come up with, that is the condition you were in when Christ poured his love out for you and his love out for me. And he did it because he loved us, first of all, and because he knew we could not do it without him. So if on your worst day, Christ died for you and he made a way for you, uh, then I'm pretty sure most of the time you don't have your worst day every single day. (laughs) And even if you did, there is not a sin that you could commit that the blood of Jesus has not already paid the price for and has not already made a way for. And so... um, I would encourage you today, as you stand with me, I would encourage you, having done all to stand, the Bible says, stand therefore, having girded yourself with the breastplate of righteousness and with everything else that you learn in Ephesians chapter 6, when the devil tries to come and tell you that you don't belong, that you're not up to the task, that you're not that type of person, you just bring the word of God back to him and say, no, you're just embarrassed because you're naked. You're embarrassed because you failed and I'm not going to fall for your tricks because now I know the truth and you don't have a right to torment me with those thoughts. So I just say, I command you in the name of Jesus, you stop putting those thoughts in my head. I resist you and you have to flee. With every head bowed, every eye closed. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you um, for giving us your word so that we could know that we are in your family and that you are embracing us and that you are drawing us close and that you are desiring um, a daily, moment-by-moment, close relationship with us. Father, we thank you for bringing us and making us part of your family. We thank you for the power of the blood of Jesus. We thank you for the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus. We, we declare that the blood of Jesus affects every part of our being and that the blood of Jesus is effective on our mind and on our memories and on our actions and on our emotions and on our affections, what we're drawn towards. Father, we apply the blood of Jesus in our lives. We thank you for the precious blood of Jesus. We thank you for every effect that that blood has on us and on our beings and on those around us and on the whole world. Father, we thank you for the blood. Thank you so much for the blood. We thank you that you have made us right with you through the blood of Jesus, that you've drawn us close to you by the blood of Jesus. And Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus.
I'd like each one of us to just take a moment and um, uh, thank the Lord from your own lips for what he has done for you in Christ through the blood of Jesus. doesn't have to be real loud, but just uh, voice, voice your adoration, your praise, your um, thankfulness for what he's done uh, for you through Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you. Thank you for reaching down. Thank you for reaching out. Thank you for making a way where there was no way. Thank you for bridging the gap. Thank you for suffering for me. Thank you for taking my penalty in your body, in your spirit. Thank you. Oh, Father, thank you. Thank you for conquering the devil. Oh, thank you for setting us free. Thank you for giving us liberty and freedom and a wide place and setting us into a large place. Thank you, Father. Heavenly Father, we do praise. We thank you. You're good and your mercy endures forever. Father, we pray that as we go this week, that you would remind us of your word, that you would remind us of our position with you, that our relationship tomorrow will be nearer to you, that we'll even sense it tangibly than what it has been today. Father, and next week, nearer and nearer, Father, that our entire life, that we walk near to you, that we walk close with you in the provision that you have made. Father, I pray for each and every one of us that you give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Jesus Christ, the eyes of our understanding being enlightened, that we may know what is the hope of your calling and what are the riches of the glory of your inheritance in the saints, what's the exceeding greatness of your power in and toward us who believe as demonstrated in the working of your mighty power that you wrought, that you worked in Jesus Christ when you raised him from the dead and set him at your own right hand. Father, I thank you that you've seated us with him in heavenly places, far above all principality power over every demon, over Satan, over everything that's going on. Father, I pray that you'll help us to keep that perspective, to see with the eyes that you see with and to hear with the ears that you hear with, Father, that we would be attentive to you and to your word. Father, we thank you for infusing us with your life and with your nature through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.